my shoes and out the door. Five, I'm alive, six, seven, eight, feeling great. Hello, BYWG Tribe. Here's a quick, less than one minute review of our supplement product and book of the month for September. At the end of the podcast, I will spend a few extra minutes going into finer details, so we encourage you to listen to the end. The supplement of the month for September is our potent probiotic formula called Probiotic Power Blend. The 10% discount code for the month is Gut Health 10. So that's lowercase G-U-T-H-E-A-L-T-H 10. It is case sensitive. Our book of the month is The Buddha and the Badass by Vishen Lakiani. Great one. And the product of the month is Peak Teas, P-I-Q-U-E Teas, with the first time ever 5% discount on their entire line of teas using the code capital B, capital Y, capital W, capital G. All the links, discount codes, and special offers for the program, supplement, and book will be listed in the show notes and Apple Podcasts, post on the social media, in our weekly newsletter, and on our website at www.beyondyourwildestgenes.com at the Listen Now tab. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Beyond Your Wildest Genes podcast. I'm your co-host today, Dr. Mike Akinfora. And today I have the Alec Baldwin of Beyond Your Wildest Genes, Rob Wolf. Rob, how are you? <laughs> Good. How are you doing? <laughs> awesome. You are the most interviewed guest that we've had on our podcast. So, Oh, wow. You are cool. the Alec Baldwin. <laughs> I, I'm honored. I'm honored. Tickled and honored. Awesome. I'm just going to read Rob's bio, and then we're going to get into his new masterclass, the Keto Masterclass. Uh, I have taken the class. I love it, and I really wanted to share it with you guys. So Rob Wolf is a former research biochemist, and he's a two-time New York Times Wall Street Journal bestselling author of The Paleo Solution and Wired to Eat. Rob has transformed the lives of hundreds of thousands of people around the world via his top-ranked iTunes podcast, books, and seminars. Rob has functioned as a review editor for the Journal of Nutrition and Metabolism, that's Biomed Central, and as a consultant for the Naval Special Warfare Resiliency Program. He serves on the board of directors slash advisors for Specially Health Incorporated, the Chickasaw Nation's Unconquered Life Initiative, and a number of innovative startups with a focus on health and sustainability. Rob holds a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and is a former California State powerlifting champion and a 6-0 amateur kickboxer. Rob has provided seminars in nutrition and strength and conditioning to a number of entities, including NASA, Naval Special Warfare, the Canadian Light Infantry, and the United States Marine Corps. Rob lives in Reno, Nevada with his wife, Nikki, and his daughter, Zoe and Sagan. Rob, welcome back to the show. Doc, thanks for having me. I always feel like I should be taller than five foot nine with a bio like that. <laughs> oh, you're a busy guy. <laughs> you're you're a busy guy. So, I I wanna I wanna start by um, for those who have don't know who Rob Wolf is, who've been hiding under a rock somewhere for for the last ten years. Um, can Rob, can you flesh out some of your uh, some of your backstory for people so they get an idea? of why you do the things that you do. Yeah, you know, I, I've always been interested in health and human performance. Uh, unfortunately, both of my parents were pretty ill. Both of them smoked. My dad drank a fair amount. They, they had a pretty poor diet. Uh, uh, neither of them made it past the age of 70. Um, I, in, in the last 
you know, 25 years for both of them were, were honestly kind of a touch and go scenario with a pretty nasty down, downslide. Both of them developed type two diabetes. Uh, my dad had, uh, uh, his toe, then his part of his foot, whole foot, and then below the knee amputation. My mom developed a number of autoimmune related conditions. And, you know, the, the whole way along with this stuff, I had a sneaky, suspicion that better diet and lifestyle would probably have helped both of them. And in tinkering with my own diet and lifestyle, uh, I adopted what was, you know, initially kind of a vegetarian diet and then ultimately a vegan diet, which I, I think can be helpful or beneficial for some people. But for me, it was a disaster. It turns out um, I have celiac disease. So gluten, uh, you know, is a an absolute non-starter for me. And I'm also pretty reactive to grains in general. I don't have great carb tolerance. And, uh, you know, it was just a lot of tinkering and fiddling. I, I had ulcerative colitis so bad 20 years ago that uh, the the doctors that were taking care of me wanted to do a bowel resection. And I'm, I'm 46, so I was like 26, 27 and had dyslipidemia, uh, depression, all kinds of problems. And it was kind of an act of desperation around this time when I really pinned down the fact that I, I had intolerance to grains and legumes in particular. It's kind of thinking, I'm like, man, what do you eat if you don't eat grains and legumes? And I also was reactive to dairy, although I wasn't really eating it then because of the, the vegan shtick. I was like, grains, legumes and dairy. OK, that's like agricultural food. What did people eat before agriculture? And keep in mind, this was 1998. So it, it was quite a while back and there was this newfangled search engine called Google and I went into the house and turned on the dial up and waited for the dial up to do its thing and then put into this new search engine Google the term paleolithic diet and I, I found a little bit of information there was a guy Arthur Devaney another guy Lauren Cordain who was doing some work in this area but it was interesting everything that they described with this shift from uh, kind of hunter-gatherer living to more modern living there's clearly been some enormous benefits, but there have also been some some double edged swords element to it. And uh, some of the Western degenerative diseases that includes, uh, you know, atherosclerosis, cardiovascular disease, autoimmune diseases seem to largely be absent from pre-Westernized populations, both horticulturalists and hunter gatherers. And then we start seeing more and more of that stuff as people become more and more westernized and the the food is a piece the gut microbiome is a piece the changes in in you know sleep status and social connections like all of that stuff plays together and so it was 20 years ago in July that I I first discovered this kind of ancestral health paleo diet type concept and I I literally almost fight club style ended up on Lauren Cordain's doorstep he's kind of the godfather of this paleo diet concept. I, I drove out to Fort Collins and told him he needed a grad student. And he said he didn't have funding for a grad student. And I said, that doesn't really matter. I'm still <laughs> gonna, I'm going to be your grad student, you know? And so I did a research fellowship with him and eventually uh, uh, kind of took a, a left turn out of academic track. I right around the year 2000, 2001, I found this new workout online called CrossFit and it was pretty slick. And they seemed to uh, share a lot of the nutrition and exercise values that I had kind of developed at that time. And so I ended up co-founding the first and fourth CrossFit affiliate gyms in the world. And so I, I kind of feel like I'm a little bit like, you know, the, the Forrest Gump 
you know, movie where like he was at the beginning of Apple and all these other <laughs> things. I, I feel a little bit like that because I, I was literally at the the ground floor of both uh, CrossFit and the paleo diet concept. And really the growth of paleo, if you were to look in Google Trends and put in the terms paleo diet and then CrossFit and look at it over, you know, a 10 or 15 year run, you would see those things live and die very much in lockstep. But it was a, a really interesting experience because I've been able to work with thousands and thousands of people and see how these different approaches, um, you know, benefit some folks and not so much other folks and a need for customization, but also a need for a very simple starting point because there's so much information and so many different ways that that we could, you know, tackle health and wellness. But, you know, everybody kind of needs some sort of a, a home base to start with. And for some people, that's kind of a vegan type diet. Um, I tend to gravitate more towards that paleo, keto, low carb type approach just as a beginning point and ask questions about carbohydrate tolerance and food intolerances and stuff like that. And then start mapping that and expanding, expanding our way out to as, as broad a diet and lifestyle as we can get away with without suffering any, you know, negative side effects. Uh, Brilliant. Um, thanks for that. I really appreciate you going in and, and telling some of your backstory. So my question is, why why start a keto masterclass and, and what exactly is keto? So the ketogenic diet it, it is many things, unfortunately, and that, that's actually some of the, the challenge. Um, medically, the ketogenic diet was developed almost 100 years ago. In 2020, it will be the 100th anniversary of a ketogenic diet being used in formalized medical circles for epilepsy specifically. And prior to the development of anti-seizure medications, the ketogenic diet was really the only viable solution for folks. But the way that even the ketogenic diet was developed, it, it was observed that mainly children, but also adults who experienced epileptic seizures and did different even non-epileptic type, type seizure states. When these folks fasted, their seizures tended to either be dramatically reduced or they went away entirely. So people would tinker with, OK, I'll eat for a day, not eat for a day. But the problem was whenever they ate a regular mixed diet approach, the seizures came right back. And then the other side is, although most of us could probably benefit from some fasting, at some point fasting has an expiration date on it. It's called starvation. And so this was right around the time that a lot of the metabolic pathways and, you know, like the Krebs cycle and the TCA cycle, a lot of that foundational metabolism work was getting, uh, you know, kind of hammered out at this point. And it was fairly well understood that a, a low carb, uh, moderate protein, high fat diet would produce these things called ketone bodies, which are kind of an alternate fuel substrate that, that can feed the brain in times of starvation or just during during periods of uh, pretty severe carbohydrate restriction and also a, a modest amount of protein restriction or at least keeping protein within certain levels. And so a, a ketogenic diet is is kind of interesting in that, you know, it's it's basically defined by a, a measurable amount of blood ketones, mainly looking at beta hydroxybutyrate, but also uh, acetoacetate as another kind of uh, intermediate in this this ketone body story. And it, again, most people will have this sense that the the brain only runs off of glucose and that the body primarily runs off glucose. And that that can be true 
And some folks do okay with that, but a lot of folks were finding they experienced some significant metabolic problems with running on on kind of a, a purely carbohydrate glucose fueled metabolism. When we again look at kind of pre-westernized societies, even if they feed eat a fairly high carbohydrate diet, their their metabolism is quite flexible. They're able to shift into fat mobilization mode and use carbohydrates really effectively. It's this term called metabolic flexibility and it appears that a lot of what we see as Western degenerative disease and a lot of what we, we characterize as aging appears to be this loss of metabolic flexibility. And people get, get kind of trapped in this cul-de-sac of only carbohydrate metabolism. And then we have a tendency to gravitate towards uh, very palatable, highly refined carbohydrates, which tends to create a little bit of a merry-go-round. You have a dose of that and then a couple of an hour or so goes by and then you're hungry for that or something like it again. And it's kind of a downward spiral. And so the, the ketogenic diet, I know I'm all over the place here, but a ketogenic no, diet in, in medical circles is usually this um, about an 80% fat, uh, 10% uh, protein, five to 10% uh, carbohydrate diet. But there are lots of iterations on that. And for a purely weight loss perspective, what we found to be incredibly effective is what, what might be more termed a modified Atkins approach, which is a higher protein, low carb, moderate fat intake uh, uh, diet. You, you still will produce uh, appreciable amounts of ketone bodies. But the, the one of the big challenges that I've seen and kind of one of the drivers of why I made the keto masterclass at all. We just saw tons of people struggling with the ketogenic diet. And this is largely the way that I've eaten for like 20 years. And I know that there's different challenges. And even though I'm an advocate of this way of eating, at least as a, a beginning point, I, it, it, it's a tool. And, you know, like a hammer is an amazing tool. It's great for driving nails into boards. But if you want to cut a board very cleanly, a hammer is perhaps one of the worst tools you could imagine, you know. So I, I really like to keep folks feet on the ground and re remind them that these different dietary approaches are, are tools. They may be more or less, you know, efficacious depending on on the situation. But we saw people gaining weight on a ketogenic diet. We saw people getting dyslipidemia on a ketogenic diet. And I, I was kind of jaw dropped. I'm like, how on earth are folks doing this? And so we actually got in and surveyed my list and we just asked them, you know, where do you struggle doing a ketogenic or low carb diet? And we ended up finding a couple of different categories, you know, like people really struggled on just the nuts and bolts of how do I do it? Like, is it a, a you know, purely a ratio driven story where I have to eat 80% fat and 15% protein and 5% carbs. Um, you know, where do I start that whole thing? Uh, another big challenging piece is the social element. Um, you know, like, a, a, a husband or a wife will start changing his or her diet and then the significant other isn't really on board or coworkers or extended family, like it's fascinating how you, you could eat a really terrible diet and your family and coworkers won't really do anything one way or the other, but then you start trying to eat better and all of a sudden they're, they're trying to take you down at the kneecaps. And so <laughs> yeah. that was a, that was a big piece. And then sure. folks being time crunched and then also folks would experience some initial success on a ketogenic diet. And then they would hit what was called the dreaded plateau. And so we found kind of, four big categories of where folks were failing. Then when we poked, you know, dug in deeper on what was going on with that, 
we found that people were chasing ketone levels. So people like to track their ketones and it, it can be helpful in some ways. And it's kind of, you know, an interesting process. But the things that folks would do to drive up ketone levels, because there, there's this sense out in the greater community that the higher your ketones are, the more fat you're burning. And that's not necessarily the case. It could be kind of true, but you could have very high ketone levels because you are overeating fat and you're overeating fat to a degree that you're going to gain body fat from it. And it, it's actually hard to do on a ketogenic diet because it's a very satiating way of eating. So the, the things that folks do to overeat on a ketogenic diet are almost heroic in their stupidity. Like it's, um, and I'm not calling the people stupid, but like you've got to really try to, 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 you know, kind of goof this thing up. And a lot of people end up doing that. They will reduce protein because they're afraid of uh, protein for a variety of reasons from concepts like mTOR to gluconeogenesis and the, this notion that you're going to be kicked out of ketosis. But at the end of the day, what we have to do is figure out a way of eating that we can do over the long haul that will produce uh, kind of some spontaneous caloric reduction that we just spontaneously in general eat a little bit less. And then we hit kind of a set point that we can live with over the long haul. Um, almost I think the numbers are now at like four out of five people end up losing significant amounts of weight over the course of their lifetime. But but 95 percent of people don't keep it off. There's that rebound yeah. kind of approach or, sure. you know, kind of factor. And um, that, that's because they haven't found something that works well for them over the long haul. And also, I would argue that this is some of the evolutionary biology that we're kind of wired up to eat everything that's not nailed down. And we live in a hyper palatable food environment with easy access to tons of calories and all that type of stuff. But that is where a ketogenic diet can be really helpful. It's very satiating. It can be very nutrient dense. Um, it can help with a lot of other potential health issues like uh, gastrointestinal related problems and inflammation and whatnot. But that's kind of the the backstory on the, the keto masterclass was that I saw a lot of people struggling. I saw a lot of really goofy, uh, inaccurate information being promulgated and uh, people kind of suffering as a consequence. Absolutely. There, there is so much um, misinformation that's out there. That's why I'm thrilled that you actually put the class together. And, and now it's somebody that I know and trust. And as a physician, um, you know, you try and do your due diligence. And, and I know with you and having gone through this myself um, that you've that you've nailed it. So I, I appreciate that you took the oh, time out you. to do that. Thank you. Um, let's talk about the foundation. Let's dial back and talk about the foundation as you wrote um, in the class. What are the four keto levers and could you go through them? Yeah, and, and so protein is kind of a, a major factor or, or protein and or, um, you know, like total caloric load, our sleep, our exercise, and um, for some reason, I'm blanking on the uh, the the other one. Um, stress. Oh, stress, <laughs> stress. Yeah, 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 yep. yeah. And so, the, you know, those are kind of some some, you know, if somebody shoots me an email and they're like, hey, Rob, I was eating keto and then I ran aground. You know, this is kind of the when I put on my Sherlock Holmes hat and start asking some questions like, OK, well, what are your macronutrients? How much protein, carb, fat are you taking in? 
Um, what does your sleep look like? Are you a shift worker? Are you a new parent? What is your overall kind of macro level stress? And then, you know, what's kind of your physical activity level? And based off of all of that stuff, we can usually get to a, a place where we're kind of like, okay, well, you, you know, the macros look a little bit off. You might be low in protein, which is then causing you to have some afternoon snacking. Let's up the protein. Really be careful about doing concentrated fat sources. And, you know, so we could tweak that. Or um, you've been addicted to Ozark and you're staying up till one in the morning serial binge watching, you know, TV shows. Well, let's put on some blue blockers. Let's set a timer so that you, you're in bed no later than like 9.45, 10 p.m. And let's just do that for a week and see what happens with that. And so by by kind of paying attention to those those four kind of diet and lifestyle levers, uh, it, it will help an individual stay on track. But also if they kind of run aground, then that's also where we look to to, you know, to uh, kind of differentially diagnose what's going on. And this is true whether we're talking about just fat loss or if we're working with a, a client or a military person, you know, uh, individual that is trying to increase their performance, we will use the same kind of matrix to dig in and look at what they have going on. Brilliant. Brilliant. Do, do you think um, this is for everybody? Like, can can everybody do keto? I think most everybody can can do keto. There are some some caveats there. Uh, pregnant or breastfeeding women, um, it, it's completely safe to do it. There's lots of data on on it being done under those conditions. The one caveat that I would have with that, though, is one thing is that it for women, it is critical that they get their electrolytes correct. So people don't appreciate that when you shift from a higher carb general diet to a lower carb diet, our, our electrolyte status changes a lot. And the recommendations that are made even for epilepsy patients for the addition of sodium and potassium and magnesium to the diet are, are rather large. And without that addition, people feel terrible. And I think a lot of what passes for kind of uh, adrenal fatigue or thyroid issues are actually caused not from a low carb intake, but from an inadequate electrolyte intake. When we look at the way that the kidneys handle sodium and these hormones like aldosterone, and if sodium is too low and the body is in kind of a stress response trying to retain it, it will re uh, release cortisol, will release adrenaline, and so you have sleep disturbances. And women are just really finely tuned to stress because of that kind of reproductive status thing. And so, I, it, you know, two years ago, I would have just generally been more nervous about low-carb or keto for women under a variety of circumstances as I've worked with more and more people and work with some people like uh, Tyler Cartwright and Luis Villasenor, uh, the founders of Keto Gains. They move 600 people every six weeks through a keto diet boot camp. It's called the Keto Games Boot Camp. Cannot recommend it enough. And a lot of my methodology is, is based very directly off what they do. But 80% of their clients are women between the ages of 35 and 50. And we are not seeing like rampant you know, adrenal issues, thyroid issues, we're, we're actually seeing quite the opposite in those folks. But Tyler and Luis are neurotic about making sure that their folks get adequate electrolytes. And so 
this again is is something that just gets dropped all the time. We have a ton of different resources in the keto masterclass to help people get the electrolytes cl- correct. But there's a lot of buzz around the internet that a ketogenic diet is inappropriate for women. It may or may not be ultimately the right fit for someone. But I, I will guarantee you that uh, in women in particular, if they don't get the electrolytes correct, that is just begging for problems. The other kind of caveat, again, with that kind of pregnant and breastfeeding woman is that because a ketogenic diet tends to be very satiating, it is easy to undereat. And so even though a, a woman who is breastfeeding and they're wanting to lose some of that pregnancy weight, that's great, but you just don't want to get super aggressive on the caloric restriction. Otherwise, you could interrupt uh, milk supply. And so, you know, like a mild 5%, uh, uh, you know, daily caloric restriction. And again, we provide resources in the Keto Masterclass for people to to figure that out. But those are some of the biggies. Um, I I have a particular uh, a gene polymorphism, a, a FOXO modification that interestingly, on the front end of this story, the types of fats that I consume really dramatically alter my cholesterol and lipoprotein levels. And so if I eat a lot of saturated fat, particularly from like dairy products like butter and cream and stuff like that, my total cholesterol, my LDL cholesterol, my LDL particle count will absolutely go through the roof. It'll go from like 1100 to 2200 mm. Rather quickly uh, sure. with regards to uh, lipoproteins. Yep. And then if I pull out that dairy, pull out the more saturated fat uh, sources and do more monounsaturated fats like olives, olive oils, nuts, that that cholesterol and lipoprotein absolutely plummets. So on the front end of this whole thing, I've got a little bit of a janky setup in that that FOXO mutation can can uh take a ketogenic diet and potentially get my lipoproteins and cholesterol into numbers that may not be good. It's a different story under a low carb environment. We don't know for sure that um, the, that level of uh, cholesterol and lipoproteins is still atherogenic the way it is with a standard mixed diet. But, it, you know, we just we don't have great information on that. But I do know that by simply modifying the types of fats that I eat, then I, I end up pulling that down. But then I a bunch of other gene genes that I have, I'm very well situated as a fat burner. I just kind of need to pick the the right types of fat. And so for people tinkering with the ketogenic diet, if they see total cholesterol, LDL cholesterol, and lipoproteins really go through the roof, the, the two things to look at are to change the types of fats that you're consuming. So shifting away from saturated fat sources. So maybe you do more lean beef sources and then supplement the additional fat with olive oil, olives, nuts, things like that. Or uh, most folks, if they just get their titrate, their carbs up to about 75 to 120 grams of carbs a day, which is typically much, much lower than what they were eating before. But it's like magic. It just drops that cholesterol and, and lipoprotein count. And it's funny, as keto has become popular, it's basically become this thing where you're either ketotic or you're eating or, or it's put forward that you're eating a thousand grams of carbs a day. And there's this, you know, people have turned this into such religious doctrine that they've missed the fact that there's this whole huge spectrum of carbohydrate amounts and varieties that could be consumed that are perfectly healthful and maybe the better option. It may offer more more latitude in the diet. And so that's an interesting thing within the Keto Masterclass, too, 
is that it provides a triage process. And I would say maybe 20% of the people that go through the masterclass, when they go through the triage process, the recommendations are actually, hey, instead of keto specifically, why don't you try this modest carb intake? We use all the same methodology, but we just have you set it like 75 to 100 grams of carbs a day. And uh, again, that might be for some specific genes that, that we see some kind of wacky changes in their cholesterol or lipoprotein levels. Yeah, I, it's funny because we just did a, a lecture this week. Uh, Noah and I did a lecture in, in, in office and we had a patient who uh, went through keto and his cholesterol was sky high. And, and that's exactly what we told him, like dialed down. Uh, he was full on cream, full on, like just heavy, uh, saturated fats. And we told him, let's, you know, number one is look, let's see how you look, feel and function. Uh, we stole that from some smart guy that we know. <laughs> um, but it really, uh, and he says he's never felt better. So we're, we're, we're dialing in on these things, and I, I can tell you for myself, um, I, I, I love cream, <laughs> uh, but when I, when I give those things up and, and shift off of them, I function at such a high level, it, it's almost like a, like a miracle to me. Yeah, the, and, it, and you know, this is one of the ironic things is even these folks who have – Elevated cholesterol and lipoprotein number, um, they oftentimes will report that they feel amazing. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and we, and again, this is where the data is very early and very preliminary. But a number of these folks have gone through like uh, uh, carotid intimal media thickness scans and calcium scores and even some of the uh, 3D CAT scans where they fly through the, the coronary arteries of the heart and they look clean as a whistle. But yet they've got an, a blood lipid profile that any credible lipidologist would just like start throwing statin laced darts at the person, you know, yes. it, 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 yeah. just from a, a, a standard of care deal. How have you feel about statins like they're they're, you know, but it, it's um super preliminary. Um, it, 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 I do, I have a, a whole, I think it's 45 page document in, uh, the keto masterclass on keto and cholesterol. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's unfortunate in a way in that I, I can't give folks a really concrete answer. Like, um, I think it makes sense to do the modifications like you recommended to, to your patient. If those, if the cholesterol and lipoprotein numbers go, go sky high, let's dial down the saturated fat sources and see what happens there. Um, let's maybe try introducing some fermentable carbohydrate sources like inulin and stuff like that to get some some prebiotic fiber in the gut. And maybe we get some activity that's happening on on the gut level. But if lipoproteins are still high and then we reintroduce some carbohydrate, but the person feels really bad from the carbohydrate, that's a tough position to be in. You know, like in a situation like that, where we have what would arguably be a really atherogenic blood profile, but the person's feeling good, I could probably make a case for like a yearly or every two year CIMT scan or this 3D imaging or, or something like that to just kind of stay on top of it because we we have virtually no data. It's it's all anecdotal and it, it's, um, you know, I'm as bullish and excited about ketogenic low carb diets as anybody could be. But when we 
when we see every blood marker improve except cholesterol and lipoprotein, it does leave me wondering, it's kind of like, is this a net win? Like their insulin is better, their inflammation is better, their their white blood cell count looks better, but we've got this this arguably really atherogenic you know, blood profile. And there's just not enough data out there right now to be able to to give people a really definitive answer. And I think that there are so many genetic variations lurking out in the the population that we really have to take this on a one off, you, you know, by one by one case. And so at a minimum, I would do the mitigating strategies to try to get those the cholesterol and lipoprotein numbers back into levels that look a little bit more reasonable. And then if it's just a situation where you li literally look, feel and perform your best, but with an atherogenic blood profile, then I would at least do some some follow up, you know, like the CIMT and some other stuff to stay on top of that. Yeah. And, and that is exactly what our recommendation was. And uh, let's find out what these uh, polymorphisms are and let's let's take it from there dial the saturated fat down and get it retested in, in three months and see where you are. I mean, and exactly. the dude, and the dude was shredded. Like, right. you know, he was never felt any mid thirties, never felt better in his life. And, you know, he comes back with, and like you said, the, the, the medical doctors in the right church, he's just in the wrong pew. Right. Right. <laughs> right. You know, he has the patient's best interest at heart. And, and so it's, this information that's out there and i think this will all play out over time right and in the meantime we don't want to um give people this uh false hope or or misinformation but with the data that's out there right now we we can uh, say that this is is perfect for them and just just really tinker with it Right, right. Yeah. And this is something to maybe throw out there to your listeners. There are folks, smart folks, credible folks in the kind of keto low carb community that they will say so long as insulin levels are low, you have no cardiovascular disease risk, regardless of your lipoprotein and cholesterol count. And I can't agree with that. There might be some truth to it. There might be some truth in some people and not in other people. Uh, I sit on the board of directors of a clinic that does lipidology and I'm not a, you know, board certified in lipidology, but I'm not a hack at it either. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that that is, uh, very brazen and unreasonable to give folks to, to just say, Hey, if insulin's low, all it's good. Like I, 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 I can't sign off on that. Maybe those folks will end up being right. I hope they are right. But because it would provide a lot, a lot more safety net for a, a lot of folks out there. But it, it is something that, again, this was part of the reason why we did the keto masterclass, because these are some of the things that pop up. There's, if you do a Google search, putting ketogenic diet in less than a second, you get over a million search responses. If you put ketogenic diet into YouTube, which is the second largest search engine in the world, you get a half million responses in less than a second. And so there is a massive amount of information. And again, I'm not saying that I, I have this all figured out, but I've done a lot of this uh, ranging from, you know, athletic performance perspective. Like when I worked with the Naval Special Warfare and did the work with the SEALs and the SEAL teams, 
these are the people that are getting DARPA funding to look at uh, exogenous ketones and ketogenic diets for our war fighters under various extreme circumstances like uh, uh, oxygen rebreathers for diving and also high altitude, um, you know, deployment scenarios. There seems to be some benefit for a, a keto fuel fueled approach to that. So I feel like I've got a pretty good breadth and depth on this from like elite athletic performance to also again being on the board of directors of a lipidology clinic and i'm not completely cocksure that just having low insulin levels is enough to preclude the atherogenic process you know like if if you've got a, a super high cholesterol and lipoprotein count absolutely um talk to us uh, just a little bit about what actually are are, are keto foods just hit that a little bit. And, you know, this is kind of a funny thing because virtually anything could be a keto food. Like you okay. could eat a piece of chocolate cake, but if that was the only thing you ate all day, then you're going to be in ketosis due to the caloric deficit that you're in. And so, it, it you know, generally lower carb foods are, quote, keto, mm -hmm. but it, it's really a story of you've either got to introduce a calorie deficit, you need to have a punctuated period of time where you're not eating some sort of time restricted feeding or intermittent fasting, or you need to eat some foods that are more kind of protein, fiber and fat in composition versus you know kind of kind of more carb composition and and so you know uh meat seafood um tend to you know eggs dairy products even though dairy products can be problematic for some people both from an uh, allergy perspective but also from this increased cholesterol and lipoprotein perspective it varies from person to person but it is a thing to keep an eye on you know by exclusion things like potatoes uh sweet potatoes um, most fruits, you know, they can be kind of problematic due to the the kind of density of the carbohydrate. But most people that are kind of keto fueled, they find that, you know, they'll put in a quarter cup of blueberries, quarter cup of raspberries. They'll have a little slice of mango. Um, people will freak out about like carrots and stuff like that. But you need to eat like eight carrots to get an appreciable amount of carbohydrate from carrots, you know. So, you know, like I will do kind of a, a stir fry where I'll grate up two zucchinis, a carrot, a bunch of mushrooms. I literally just jam them through the food processor, throw them in a pan, put some ground beef or some ground turkey, put a little bit of olive oil on it and cook that down. And when I, when I post, you know, I do my Instagram, you know, food pick on that, yep. the, the real keto adherence will be like, well, that's, those are carrots. That'll kick you out of ketosis. And it's like, well, I didn't eat a bushel of carrots. And so, you know, it, this is where you, you really need to keep, um, Keep an eye on your total macronutrient load and your your uh, uh, total caloric load. And this is also kind of a, a point that if we were to just put on our paleo diet, you know, lens, if you want to eat more low glycemic load fruits and vegetables, and it, then you just kind of dial the fat down a little bit, dial the the uh, you know the amount of those low glycemic load fruits and vegetables up. And you will probably be kind of cyclically ketotic. You'll go in and out of ketosis when when you fast, when you exercise. And this is actually kind of right where I hang on the, the edge of. I do some Brazilian jiu-jitsu and do some other physical activities. And so I tend to eat a little bit more protein, a little bit more carbs, probably like 50 to 75 grams of carbs a day. And I'm generally in ketosis, but I'm not chasing ketosis for ketosis sake. Like I'm really looking at 
how do I look? How do I feel? How do I perform? What do my biomarkers look like? And for me, everything is kind of optimized at that, that a bit higher protein intake, um, at, at a carbohydrate level. Like I actively try to eat my way out of ketosis by eating vegetables. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's one of these things too that's maybe a little wacky. So long as you don't have GI reactions to vegetables, I don't know if you're really helping yourself out by saying, well, I'm just not going to eat another piece of kale because it, it's going to be too many carbs. You know, like, I right. think that, that that's maybe a little bit problematic. For some people, that is the appropriate thing to do. And, and uh, uh, you know, I've noticed that with my vegetable intake, I really need to cook most of them. Otherwise, it pretty much comes out the way it, it went in. Um, so I do need to, to, you know, make some soup, stews, curries, stuff like that with the the vegetables for the most part. But I, I've also found that I just kind of feel better with that that higher vegetable intake. Some people do really well with very low veggie intake, like the carnivore diet is very popular right now. And it seems like people who have really severe gut problems and autoimmune disease seem to be the folks that are thriving on that. So here again, we have a a subgroup of people that uh, for these folks, you know, the, the vegetable intake may not be as big a deal, but for most of those people eating a carnivore diet, they're not super, They eat a high fat diet, but what they've found is that they eat a protein level that doesn't really allow them to be in a super deep state of ketosis because they, again, tend to look, feel, and perform better by doing that. Absolutely. Uh, Rob, I'm really cognizant of your time. Uh, You have time for one more question? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I I think a big part of this in someone um, going into this and wants to try it is their mindset. Just talk to us a little bit about what you see the mindset needs to be going into this. Oh, man, it's huge. And, you know, there, there were, just recently there were two big kind of nutrition debates that were on the Joe Rogan show. One was between Chris Kresser and a vegan doc named uh, Dr. Joel Kahn, and that was a whole interesting thing. But then there was another one between uh, Dr. Dominic D'Agostino and Dr. Lane Norton, Dom is a, uh, a ketogenic diet researcher. Lane Norton is kind of one of these uh, flexible diet advocates, very, very critical of the paleo diet concept and whatnot. But I, I, I like the guy a lot. He's a, a great thinker. And he he made an interesting observation, which was that when people approach a dietary practice, they lose some weight. And then when they regain weight, the tendency is to gain more than what they lost. And he had some really fascinating statistics, which was that each cycle of that process, the person tends to lose weight more difficultly than, you know, the second, the third, the fourth iteration, and they gain it back even faster and easier and better. And it it honestly, it kind of pickled my giblets a little bit in that I'm like, man, we need to be really careful in how we recommend people approach this stuff, sure. you know, now at, at the same time, we have epidemic rates of type two diabetes and, and diabetes, everything, you know, like the, sure. you know, we're, we're, we're facing a, a implosion of our healthcare system due to this stuff. So we, we really do need to encourage folks to do something, but that something does need to be long-term more sustainable than not. And, and so, you know, some people would do well with kind of a paleo s type approach where they can eat fruit, you know, not really limit their fruit intake. They eat lots of lean proteins. Um, 
uh, you, you know, they're more sweet potatoes and potatoes like they, they do well with stuff. Other folks will do better with a, a kind of a ketogenic or low carb approach. Some people will do better with a plant based approach. But you really need to sit down and ask yourself, like, what of these things could I do more often than not? Because the, the one thing that we can't do is live in that middle ground of the snack aisle of the supermarket. Like the, I, 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 my mom died a couple of years ago, but I, I've been digging through a bunch of her old books. And she had this Betty Crocker cookbook that was interesting because it, it was not just recipes, but it was also kind of like life wisdom. And it was so interesting because one of the questions that was submitted in this book was printed in probably like 1950 or something like that. But the question was, hey, um, it was almost like a, a Dear Ann, you know, you know, type thing, ask Ann Landers or whatever. But um is it okay for my fam for me to feed my family more than one dessert a week? And the response was, no, that's kind of gauche. And and I think that this was coming right after World War II and there was food rationing and all this type of stuff. But it was basically this thing of, you know, like Sunday is family day and a lot, you know, particularly at that point where people went to church and they had more community activity and everything. But on that day where you come together with your family and, you you, you know, you spend this time together, that's when you have a dessert. And then the rest of the week, it's kind of, you know, a starch, a protein, a vegetable and, you you know, rinse, lather, repeat. And it was really interesting because, you know, the sentiment at that point was, no, one dessert a week is good. And and uh, when you look at what our rates of obesity and diabetes and all that stuff were at that point, it, it, it's just like a different planet, a different world. And so, you know, we are not well suited for that that uh uh navigating that middle ground of like again the snack aisle of the supermarket you know things like pizza and ice cream the high fat plus high carb combo is really problematic and so it, when people sit down and start contemplating what they're going to do i would really ask yourself like do you feel like you would do better on kind of a a lower fat um, you know, moderate to high protein, high carb, you know, almost like a bodybuilder type type approach. Or do you feel like you would do better on a, a lower carb approach? And thinking about maybe what some of your trigger foods are would help inform that that decision. Like if, if you really like steak and ribs and eggs and cheese and stuff like that, you might do better on a, a lower carb approach. But I would recommend that people sit down and spend some time thinking about like, OK, which approach do I think? I might be able to to live with. And there is just kind of a reality that if you're going to make some headway, every day is not dessert day. Every meal is not, not dessert meal. You know, like we, it doesn't mean you never have any of these things again, but it definitely doesn't mean that you have it more meals than not like that. Just flat isn't going to work. And if you don't want to do that, then that's fine. Let's just have that conversation and, and be done with it and not annoy each other on that. But then beyond that, once you kind of get a sense of which direction you think that the wind is going to be at your back instead of pushing you backwards, then I think you really need to delineate some whys. And for me being healthy, the, the big whys for me, um, I did diabetic wound care on my dad. I watched him lose a toe, then a foot, then all of his his leg below the below the knee. And it was interesting because my dad, it was almost like he was making a deal with the universe. It's like, well, Rob, I'll let him take the foot. And it, in his mind, it was kind of like they take the foot and then I'm OK. 
And I was like, Dad, that's not how it works. They're just going to come back and take the next piece and the next piece and the next piece because you still smoke, you still drink, and you haven't, you know, modified your diet. And so for me, I am never going to subject my kids to them doing diabetic wound care on me. Um, I, I, I just, I am absolutely not going to do that. And so for, for you know, I want to be effective as a parent and a, a good spouse. And also, I really enjoy my work. I like helping people. So I want to be in this fight as long as I can. So my why for health is to take care of my family and to just kind of live as, as good a life as I can. And, you know, I'll, I'll have a little dessert or treaty thing here and here and there, but it's really not a big deal. And I just kind of uh, derive a lot of satisfaction from just feeling good day to day. And each person is going to find a different why, but I, I find that things like that, like I want to do this for my kids. I want to do this for my community or, you know, whatever doing it for something bigger than ourselves is oftentimes really, really powerful. The, the, the motivation of just losing weight or just looking better, like it can motivate some people, but it tends to be very transitory. And the very first time that we face an adversity, we tend to just bail on it because it's not really that big of a motivator. But, you know, people will move, <clears throat> excuse me, heaven and earth to do things for their children, to do things for their greater community, um, to do things for like a, you know, a, a, a something that they find significant meaning in. And so you really have to find your why, like find what approach you think is going to work. And if it's not the, you know, kind of a keto low carb approach, there's other ways of doing it. But figure out what you think is going to work well for you and then find a why and like stencil that why everywhere and remind yourself of it. And that will provide the the kind of long term motivation and the mindset that is critical to being successful over that long haul. And, and hopefully we avoid that, that rebound activity because it, it, it's clear that that yo-yo dieting and the rebounding is incredibly damaging and we, we want to, we want to get it right. You know, my why, as, as most of my listeners know, uh, I, I was 300 pounds and my why was I wanted to be able to coach the kids in sports because I got mm. such great joy in sports. And sports taught me a lot about how life works. Uh, be, as you said, being something, being involved in something greater than oneself. And I, I looked at myself in the mirror. And, and mind you, my, my, my wife is a classically trained uh, pastry chef. So, holy was, smokes! Wow. Yeah, I, and and there was a time when you know when we first got married, she had a bakery, and we would literally take an entire cheesecake home on a Sunday because it was going to go to waste, and you, you just couldn't let this go to waste, Rob. <laughs> Doc, the the next cheesecake that's going to go to waste, <laughs> let me jump on it. I'll act like it's a grenade and I'll throw myself on it. Cheesecake is is one of my kryptonites. Oh, and. And it was when we when we had Emma and Jack, there was a realization like, wow, I I was eating like I was still an athlete, except I stopped working out. Right. And then right. there was a recognition like, OK, I've got to I've got to pull myself together. I'm I'm a doctor and I'm telling people, you know, you're really going to lose weight. And they're probably laughing. Right. Um, but the reality is, is that 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 I, I did this so that I could be an active participant in, in my kids' lives. And, uh, you know, it's we're, we're going on, oh, God, 15 years later, and I weigh less than I did when I was in high school. 
Oh, wow. That's incredible. Yeah, it, it really, it makes a difference. And as we've said during this entire thing, tinkering all the time with, with different things to see what fits me best. Right. And not taking this dogmatic approach of, oh, I'm just paleo. I'm just keto. I'm just, you know, gluten-free. All these things, there are certain times in our lives where certain things are going to work better. Exactly. Yeah. So I really appreciate you taking the time today, Rob, and I appreciate the time that it took to put this um, keto masterclass together. So I want to thank you um, for coming on the show once again. Uh, do you have any last words? No, just uh, just powerfully encourage people to get in and tinker. And, and uh, again, even though, you know, I'm a huge advocate of paleo, low carb, keto eating, maybe that's the right approach for you. Maybe it's not. But just be open to doing something new and tinkering and fiddling. And, you know, my greasy used car salesman pitch is try this stuff for 30 days and then just assess it for, you know, efficacy. Maybe it works great that you absolutely hate your life. That's okay. <laughs> we can, we can re, you know, we can rejigger things from there, you know, but um, just that, that <clears throat> reticence to do anything new and to let go of what you have to, to try something new, that that's, that's a tough place to be. So I would just encourage people to, to tinker and also remain open-minded. And, and please, if you're one of these people that gets an amazing result with keto, paleo, or what have you, don't become a zealot. Be a be a gentle advocate of the whole thing. <laughs> like, I, I, I've been there. I, I get it. Like, you've had a life-transforming event. But, um, man, nothing off-puts people more than than that, that zealotry. And also, it, it can blind you to uh, shortcomings in your methodology. Like uh, 15 years ago, I thought I had this all figured out and nobody should eat carbs. Everybody did great. And I was suffering from some massive selection bias, like people who would benefit from my approach. That message kind of went through both the Internet and our, our physical you know, brick and mortar location of running a gym. And so everybody that I ran across for ages did really well with my methodology. And then I started working with more military and more athletes and my usual approach wasn't working in those folks. And instead of being open-minded and saying, well, maybe I need to modify things. I broke some people trying to force one methodology into people who, for whom it really wasn't appropriate. And had I, had I maintained a little bit more open-mindedness and looked at this more as a tool than kind of religious doctrine, I, I would have been much more effective as a coach and I would have shaved 15 years off of my developmental process. So I'd, I'd get in and tinker, but also uh, keep your feet on the ground. Remember, these are all tools and, and all tools can be effective and all tools can be a disaster. Absolutely. Hey, Rob, thanks again. Hey, folks, if you like what you heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. It is greatly appreciated. It helps us help others. Um, and, and we really uh, appreciate that. Uh, the Everything will be in the show notes. The links to the masterclass will be there. And we'll have um, links to Rob's website and his podcast as well. Awesome, Doc. Thank you. You got it, Rob. Everybody, have a great day. Ciao. Get my shoes and out the door. Five, I'm alive. Six, seven, eight.
So what do you do next? Well, number one, for more information, go to our website, www.beyondyourwildestgenes.com. The entire spec sheet can be found there and loads of research articles supporting the use of probiotic power and all other supplements of Beyond Your Wildest Genes for that matter. You can take the two-minute 10-question quiz to help narrow your supplement choices and receive 10% off your entire first order. As mentioned, for the entire month of September, if you use the code GUTHEALTH10, you will receive 10% off your probiotic power. In behalf of the entire BYWG team, thank you for listening. Better digestion and immunity is just a few clicks away. And as always, be awesome and never unawesome. Hey, guys, and I'm back. Our September supplement of the month is our very own probiotic power blend. Probiotics are probably one of the most varied and confusing supplements available. There are over 200 strains of probiotics and not are all created equal or have the same benefit. We have done the hard work for you. We spent months researching the best recommendations and reading the current literature to identify the top nine strains to include in our probiotic power blend. Probiotic power blend contains probiotic strains that are temperature and acid resistant, so they make it through the stomach and into the intestinal tract for more effectiveness. For the entire month of September, if you use the code GUTHEALTH10, you will receive 10% off this incredibly potent probiotic. You can pick it up at our office or our website at www.beyondyourwildestgenes.com. The September 2020 book of the month is The Buddha and the Badass, The Secret Spiritual Art of succeed, Succeeding at Work by Vishen Lakhianer, founder of Mind Valley. Both Dr. Mike and I loved this book and recently devoured it in just a few days. For me personally, the last chapter specifically revolving around the idea of lofty questions was specifically empowering to me. We highly suggest you check out this book. Our highlighted product of the month is a return favorite and one of my personal favorites as well, peak teas. Peak teas are the freshest and rarest plants extracted via a proprietary cold brew crystallization that gently preserves active compounds at maximum potential. They include things like green teas, black teas, herbal teas, superfoods, and so much more. You just tear open a small sachet, mix it with either cold or hot water per directions, and you have an incredible tasting, incredible healthy beverage ready to go. And they pair beautifully with probiotics for great digestive health. Here are some benefits. They support gut health for healthy digestion. They support a healthy immune system. They can provide calm energy because they're usually high in theanine, and they support healthy weight management. For our listeners, just go to their website at www.peakt.com and use the code capital B, capital Y, capital W, capital G for 5% off their entire site. Some of my personal favorites, without a doubt, are sacred oolong tea and the hibiscus tea. Thank you for listening, and as always, be awesome and never unawesome.